Where in hell can you go? Far from the things that you know Far from the sprawl of concrete That keeps crawling its way Keep your heart off your sleeve Guppy Productions present From Colchester to Sulawesi Written for Colm Radio by Phil Boast and Paula Larcher. Episode 19. The Tree of Life. For the most part, the weather in our chosen soon-to-be place of abode is a fairly gentle beast. The temperature rarely deviates by more than 2 degrees from 30 degrees centigrade, day or night. If it drops below 28, the locals complain of the cold. At above 32, we feel the heat. But these are not common occurrences, and for most of the time, the thermometer needle is stuck on 30 degrees in the shade. We have seasons, sort of. The dry season starts about April and goes on until about October, but it rains quite a bit during the dry season. The low mountain just behind the lodge can create its own weather patterns any time of the year as the moist air rises around it. Across the water, Monado Tour Island often has clouds above it in an otherwise clear sky, and it rains a lot more in the highlands than it does on the coast. In or about December, the wind changes to the north, and banks of magnificent black clouds roll in from the horizon. And if you happen to see this happen for the first time in the year, you can mark to the nearest hour the beginning of the rainy season. First comes a fairly light wind, and then comes the tropical deluge, often accompanied by thunder. And the wet season is here, in which there are always long, dry spells. One might say that the only predictable thing about the rain here is its unpredictability, and everyone welcomes the rain whenever it comes in this ever-bountiful land, where in the highlands, potatoes are cropped three or four times a year, and the lowland rice paddies never dry out. Rain is the bringer of life. It's the wind that does the damage, and most of the time we bask in equatorial calm, and there are only a handful of days each year when the dive boats stay in dock because of bad weather. There are, however, occasional exceptions to this rule. One morning, the four of us are at the hotel, relaxing by the swimming pool, and we strike up a conversation with a South African couple who live in Jakarta. Meeting any other white people here who live in Indonesia is a rare thing indeed. It is quite possible and indeed likely that one will spend a whole day in town without seeing another white face. So we talk and invite them for lunch at the lodge. The husband is a diver and he suggests that we buddy up and go for a mid-morning dive, returning in time for lunch. And since relaxing by swimming pools isn't something which I'm particularly good at, I gladly take him up on the offer. As we are walking back up the long timber jetty after the dive, the rain begins to fall and by the time we arrive at the lodge, a strong westerly wind has all of a sudden blown up. 
By mid-afternoon, it's very strong indeed, and from the lodge we watch as the sea becomes uncharacteristically tempestuous, and the lady who runs the dive centre phones us. The dive boats have gone out and not come back, and can we see any of them from our vantage point? The boats are not designed or built for this kind of sea. There is no safe harbour anywhere apart from the hotel, and even here the harbour mouth is too narrow to make entry in such conditions. So she is of course worried, as are we. It's only by chance that we decided against the afternoon dive, so there but for the grace of God go we, one might say, and I am good friends by now with all of the dive guides, and this isn't a good situation at all. It is not until well after dark that the last dive boat is accounted for, and only by late evening have all made safe entry into the hotel harbour. Nobody is seriously hurt, although the boats have sustained some damage, and one has lost its roof. But the skill of the boat captains has seen to it that they found relative safety by steering the boats close into the mangroves and out of the main swell, and waiting out the storm. This is a rare occurrence, but this has been our first experience of extreme weather, in a place where, for the most part, all we have is brilliant sunshine or heavy rain, and nothing much in between. Oh, my. 
If this, as we fully intend, is our last visit here before we make our big and final move, which in any case must be mine, as I'm at the end of my annual leave, we need to do something about our lack of furniture. If we can't buy what we still need, we will have to have it made. So once again, the village steps in and offers us Mr. Marwin, the man whose house we picked up and moved before we began building. By now, we have given him the nickname of Marvellous Marwin, a derivative of Marvellous Marvin, the boxer. As far as we're aware, Marvellous Marwin can't box, but he is, by all accounts, a skilled carpenter. So all we apparently need to do is provide him with wood and some simple drawings, and given enough time, he will do the rest. So we will buy timber. But again, the village suggests that since we have a garden full of coconut trees, why don't we fell a couple of those? The coconut tree is an amazing plant. Not only is the flesh inside the nut used for a multitude of culinary and cosmetic purposes, as well as being hung up to feed blue tits in English gardens, the coconut milk itself is a nutritious and delicious drink. The fibrous growth at the top of the tree is put to a variety of uses. The leaves are used for roofing, the husk of the nut is used as fuel for cooking, and then there's the stem or trunk. The lower and older part of the stem makes heavy, strong and heavily grained dark timber, which may be used for building and furniture making, the upper part being too young and soft. And if you fell a coconut tree and have a spoon handy, you can actually eat the pure white topmost part of the stem, which is delicious and not surprisingly tastes like soft coconut flesh. Coconuts are harvested all year round and at harvest time, piles of thousands of coconuts are transported by cow and cart to processing places by the roadside. And several people spend several days removing the white flesh with specially designed tools. The flesh is then smoked over traditional frames made from sticks and coconut leaves. It's then smoked a second time and this produces copra, which is exported and used in the cosmetics industry. In any case, we have a lot of coconut trees on the land, some of which are rather too close to places where people walk, and a falling coconut could easily kill one of our future guests, which would be embarrassing, so it all seems like a good idea. And if Marvellous Marwin can indeed turn them into furniture, then it could go a long way to solving our particular problem. We point out that timber usually needs to be seasoned before it can be so used, but this apparently is not the case with coconut wood, so we will see. And in any case, we give the go-ahead to fell the trees. We give a list to Marvellous Marwin, which includes dining table and chairs, more bedside cupboards and storage cupboards, which will give us enough to at least appear respectable by the time we return. It then so happens that we are offered the huge limb of a boatwood tree by the people who live across the road from the lodge, which, as the name implies, is most often used for boat making, but apparently it is also excellent timber for the making of furniture, so we are pleased to accept the offer. We think that this will conclude matters arboreal, but now enters a certain Mr Judas onto the scene, who is also apparently a carpenter. Mr Judas does come in for a certain amount of friendly ribaldry from his friends in the village for being not friend of Jesus, but the guy can't help his name, and we really don't mind whose friend he is as long as he can work the wood and make us a nice coffee table and more chairs. So now we have more than enough timber for our needs and woodworkers coming out of the woodwork, so to speak, 
Phil does some drawings of the various items of furniture and that, for now, is all we can do. We buy a safe for the storage of small valuable items. A small generator to at least run some lights and the water pump when the still quite frequent power cuts occur. And thus have we, by various means, imported, purchased or have had or are having made just about enough domestic paraphernalia to make a working lodge. We have enough staff on hand to cover the basic needs as and when they arise. And we have marvellous Marwin and Judas the Betrayer making furniture. So, all in all, we consider that things are going quite well insofar as they are so far going. Motherland what further adventures are in store for Phil and Paula as they travel from Colchester to Sulawesi in the next episode of Bill's Big Bag of Onions. Bill's Big Bag of Onions is a guppy production for Cone Radio and is committed to a varied, equitable and truly inclusive output that properly reflects the ethnic diversity of our community audience.